And now, Monumental Sports and Entertainment along with Pressbox presents Stan the Fans Bat Around. For the next two hours, listen in as Stan and Craig Heist bat around all manner of topics pertaining to the great game of baseball with their great group of guest contributors. Feel free to tweet your questions to Stan at Stan the Fan. Now sit back and enjoy the bat around. Guys, take it away. And a very pleasant good morning to each and every one of you on this Saturday, the 31st of March, the last day of March before we enter uh, the month of April. Stan the Fan along with, to my left, it is not Craig Heist, it is my good friend Adam Gladstone. Welcome back to the Bat Around, my first ever co-host. It is always good to pinch hit. You are a good pinch hitter. I'll take it. All right. All right. How you been? I'm good. Good. Yeah. You know, good that, uh, as my uh, as my four-year-old daughter says, uh, spring's happening, you know, we're starting to see trees blossom, snows melting, and and baseball's baseball. back. And baseball's back. I yeah. think for for all of us involved with the game, some way somehow, you know, it's almost it's a rebirth. I mean, it's a good opportunity to get back out there and hopefully see some good baseball. So we've got a lot of guests to get to today. Craig Heist, Rob Nelson from uh, Baseball Big League Chew. Excuse me. We've got some big breaking news regarding that. Fred Manfra. Orioles' uh, new Hall of Famer, and he interviewed you once on the pregame show, I understand. Uh, memorable interview. Uh, Fred will join us from his home in Tampa, Florida. He and his wife Maureen moved there to be closer to the grandkids. Um, talking to him yesterday, though, it sounded like I was talking to Mr. Baseball. You know, I can't wait to talk to him. And, and for me, it's, it's, it's very much a, a role reversal because, as you mentioned, we – you know, I was lucky enough and, and honored enough to have him interview me before a pregame show. But, but to be able to talk to someone like him, you know, the burning question I have, when you've been around the game and you know the game the way that he does and you care about the game and have a passion for the game, what is he doing now to alleviate that pressure? I, I mean, I, I don't think he has the ability to just turn it off like, like any of us do. No, so he immediately, we, were, we had talked the other day, he called me on Thursday while I was at the Orioles team party, uh, you know, the pregame party I was invited to this year. Um, and I, so he goes, okay, call me, call me back tomorrow. So I called him just to give him, he was going to give me a different phone number to call him on his home number. And he kind of grabbed me for, he goes, so tell me just between us, what do you think, like, I don't go in the air and talk about what I think about the team. And next 10 minutes or so, we were talking about different stuff, and it was uh, very entertaining uh, talking to Fred. We will be joined by him. You set up our next guest. Well, you also set up our old friend Rob Nelson, but you set up our next guest at 1110, the assistant general manager of the Philadelphia Phillies, Ned Rice, yeah, is Ned, with us. Ned, Ned's, you know, it, it's, it's the first time we've been able to get Ned to commit to coming on the show and and he is a wealth of information and I'm really excited and he asked he goes what's it to talk you know what are we going to talk about and I said you know Stan and I are both very impressed in the areas that the Phillies organization have deemed important and you've been instrumental in in implementing those philosophies and ideas and think groups and um, you know it's certainly a, a new way of thinking but 
we get a chance to talk to someone who's the who's an integral part of that. And um, you know, I'm just excited that he has the ability to implement those kind of ideas and, and just really excited to talk to him. And, you know, the Phillies, if it's not this year, maybe it's next year, are potentially a contender because of a lot of different reasons. And they made, you know, certainly a few hires that you and I both have relationships with. Sure. It's, to, it's neat to see those guys being given the opportunity. Well, you know one of the guys, and we'll, of course, talk to Ned a little bit about him because I'm sure Ned was in on the decision-making to hire Gabe Kapler, right. who who you know from your time with Team Israel four years, five years ago, right? Well, it seems funny because, you know, not only did, you know, there, there certainly is a Team Israel component with Gabe. And, and, and look, Gabe was with us. Gabe was going to try and play for us back in 2012, except he had a bad hamstring, and, and he became Brad Osmus's bench coach with us. Um, but it's also neat to see Ben Worthen, who worked with Ned Rice here in Baltimore, and, and I had the opportunity to work with, and then and then also Sam Fold, who played for, mm-hmm. for us in Team Israel, and, and the role that Sam is doing. What's Sam going to be doing, like analytics stuff or, or scouting stuff? Sam is in uniform, travels with the club 100% of the time, and he and Ben are really splitting. My understanding is they're splitting the opportunity of – Information dissemination. That's and what think it, okay, about it. Yeah. What better guy to have do that at the major league level than Sam, who played the game? Because as you and I both know, you could have someone like Buck Showalter tell a play or something, and they might not necessarily believe it because Buck didn't play at the major league level, even though Buck's, Buck's been a successful manager and a great uh, information giver. But you get a guy like Sam Fold, who he's a lot like Billy Ripken. If Billy Ripken tells you something, you're going to listen to it because it didn't come easy to Billy, so Billy learned everything he could. But this is where some of the new analytics, though, come in as well. And Sam, at his age, I'm sure, is much better able to comprehend the language of the analytics. I'm not saying Buck doesn't understand analytics, but there's a different language that people 35 and 60 talk and communicate to 25-year-olds. 100%. And and that's... It's it's a little kid. Your parent tells you to do something repeatedly. Yeah, it's going to go in one ear and out the other. You get someone new. Uncle Joe walks in. Right. All of a sudden, he sounds you know the greatest thing since sliced bread. It's true. We also don't want to forget our guest at eleven thirty, eleven thirty five ish. Greg Olson, former Oriole closer. I called Greg because our uh, our May cover story is going to be on Ben McDonald and his second time around. It's really odd when you um, when you run a uh, you know, publication like this and all the things that go into the timing of when you're going to do cover stories. So Glenn Clark pointed out how popular Ben has become over the past couple of years, and he's going to do more Oriole games this year than he's ever done. Fantastic on the radio. He's fantastic, right? So we, we said, what a great idea for a story. So we picked out May to do it, right, because June is a double two-month issue. We're doing a special on Ray Lewis going into the Hall of Fame that will be out June and July. Uh, And August is a little too late to do it, you know. So I'm talking to Ben, and I said, so when are you going to be in Baltimore? He's not doing his first games. We're still moving ahead with it because it's still a great story. But he's not doing his first games till July. Well, it makes sense because he's got his SEC. He does does all the SEC stuff. He's tremendous. And Chris Hoyles introduced me to Ben. He he came on – one of our hunting trips. Right. And just to be able to sit down and, and, and sit back and keep my mouth shut and just listen. I forgot to Hoyle. Hoyles is a good guy to talk about, Ben, I would to, think to so. our writer. Yeah, yeah, 
Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. But uh, but Ben is phenomenal, and the, the insight that he has not only on the certainly the SEC level because he lives and breathes that stuff, but also listening to him. And, and he was in 2014. I remember he was on the bus a couple times filling in and doing some radio or TV, and and just a wealth of knowledge. But he's also one of those guys that if you ask him a question, he'll give you the answer. He's not going to just volunteer to give you information. He's very right. quiet and reserved and. You respect the heck out of a guy like that. All right. We urge everybody that's listening to us <clears throat> to go on to Facebook, on Pressbox Sports, and find us, okay? And um, you can you can watch the show by going to Facebook Live at Facebook.com slash Sports. But we urge you to like our show and also to share it with your friends. That's a way we can build up our cumulative audience and uh, get something going here, which we keep trying to build up. Um, we've got uh, a lot of baseball to talk about. Were you uh, in town? I know you ducked out of town for a couple of days. Did you watch the Oriole game? Watch the, oh. the game. Yeah, we, we, uh, we were down at, uh, down at the beach, and uh, certainly Jordan and I, my, my nine-year-old, watched, uh, watched the first seven innings. And thought that we could slip over to Harpoon Hannah's and watch the, the rest of the game and realize that our dinner was going to be extended because the, the boys decided to go extra innings. And, and you know what? For a first game, um, besides, you know, Brad, and if you really dissect what happened to Brad Brock in, in, in the ninth inning, you know, it's part of the game. It happens. Um, there was a close pitch that, you know, Joe West could have gone either way. We, we all could have had an earlier dinner, but didn't happen. And you get a little flare and, you know, but – it does also raise a little bit of concern because Brad's been there before. And, and Brad's the kind of guy, I think, when he's a little bit more tired and not as amped up, you're going to get good, a better good Brad. Point. Get good a point. Better Brad He'd back. probably been a little too rested. Uh, you know. Too rested. It's opening day. You've yeah. been talking about the fact that he's most likely going to get that situation, and he got it. And I think, um, I think we're going to see a better Brad, Bo- Brad Brock moving forward um, as he gets a little bit more tired. I I agree with you. Um, listen, he deserved a better fate. He got that ball nubber to Chris Davis that uh, I guess Jim, Jim Henneman, I don't argue with Jim too often on calls. To me, I wrote down error by Davis. Clearly, he must have really not seen the ball at all. And, was it the and lights or the sun? I think it was the – it may have been both, believe it or not, at that time of day. I couldn't tell. But clearly, I guess the official score has the discretion to say he if you can't see the ball, you can't really give a person a physical error. Okay, right. But clearly, Brad Brock deserved a little better fate. My question is, is, is one, and believe me, I, I don't love to second-guess Buck Showalter, but you watch that at bat to Kepler which he used everything but the kitchen sink, and Kepler kept fouling. He fouled five or six off, went to two and two, fouled another one or two off, went to three and two, and then he walked them. I'm saying to myself, if he can't get Kepler, and, he's, and he looked gassed by that time, he'd thrown about 28, 29 pitches, and you're going to bring Givens in after a hit to tie the game, why don't you just go with Givens there? I think that probably Buck is thinking, hey, I got to show my faith in Brad because right. he's going to be right. my closer right. for the next couple months. Right. And uh, if he doesn't but, get out of it, then at least – and they tie the ball game, there's a realistic chance that they don't go ahead. And 
I'm going to be able to start Michael with a clean inning. Right. Having said all that, what's really put even more pressure on Brad a little bit and Buck Showalter a little bit is Givens comes in and he's turning into a monster. Yes. He is really, really Guys don't get really good at bats against him. That's a great story with, with Michael. Yeah. I mean, failed infielder and gets an opportunity to close and, and as a last resort, and he's yeah, been – He's been he's, incredible. He's, he's an all-star. All right. Anyway, we're at uh, 1013. I'll tell you what, we're going to make our first connection of the day right now with Mr. Heist, and uh, Brittany Everett and I didn't go over it. We'll take our first break after Rob Nelson, okay? So we'll have Craig Heist on. And then we'll get Rob Nelson on. Uh, Craig Heist, of course, uh, the usual co-host on this show. Had to take a bunch of weeks off, though, th- this winter because he had some opportunities to work on uh, the Mass and Nats side of things with Phil Wood being uh, out. So uh, Craig uh, gets a chance to make the big bucks over there. And he joins us right now, and that is Craig Heist. Craig, how are you? I'm good, Stan. How are you? All right. Appreciate your getting up this morning to chat with me and Adam. Uh, your impressions again? If, if, if I wasn't chatting with you two, I'd be there anyway. So you know, it's a good six, six a, and one half. That's a good. Up. That's a good point. But you there save. You but you save gas money this morning. Well, I did. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks a lot, Adam. <laughs> Besides, I was having an identity crisis. I didn't really know whether I was Adam Gladstone. That's the problem. I, I, Stan, Stan uh, alluded to the fact that that I might get some threatening emails and letters because I'm sitting in this chair today. I know. Well, Craig's yeah, just not, not Craig, at all, Adam. You are welcome anytime, my friend. <laughs> Craig's just alluding to the fact that sometimes I can lapse into it. My age now, I could clearly uh, introduce him as Adam Gladstone. You've done that before. I have done it. I've introduced you as Craig Ice. I know. Anyway, Craig, your impressions of game one, we were just chewing on uh, Brad Brock deserving a better fate, but also wondering with with Michael Givens getting as dominant as he is, is Brad Brock as the closer a long-living situation? Well, I don't know whether it's a long-living situation. That's the one Buck's going to go with, at least for the time being. And I, and I agree with Adam. You know, he probably had to show – uh, a little bit of confidence in Brock to try to let him get out of that thing, but I mean, he did deserve a better fate. He had Davis lose the ball in the in the sun or the lights or whatever, and it was getting toward twilight time. And then the uh, obviously the the, the bloop and the sawed off uh, broken bat base hit that scores the two runs. Uh, I you know I didn't have any problems with it from a strategic standpoint, uh, you know, but uh, they they wind up you know, tying up a game and then they wind up, you know, the Orioles wind up winning it on the Jones home run. So, I mean, everything, all things considered, you think about what you got uh, out of Dylan Bundy as a starter in the opener and you'll take that every time out. So good win for the Orioles. Let's see what they do tonight. Hey, good point because Troy Johnson on our uh, press box uh, Facebook feed Sends us a note, says Dylan Bundy had great seven innings, made made hitters look crazy. Uh, Adam, your thoughts on uh, how good Bundy looked? Uh, Dylan looked fantastic. I mean, and, and I like the way he goes about his business. He, he, to me, he's very old school in his demeanor, his approach, um, very cerebral. I had very minimal interaction with him back in, in 2014, but right. very cerebral and... He's got that, that, that throwback mentality where you can't really tell, besides the fact he sweats a lot, right. you, you can't really tell 
whether he's having a good time or, or, or a bad time. And you love that in the starting pitcher. And you saw him – I mean, I think all of us were holding our breath before he threw his first pitch because his, his outings in spring training were not fantastic. And that just goes to show it's throw all that stuff out of the way. It's interesting. Until they announced he was the opening day starter, the next day he went out, Craig, and pitched five innings, allowing one run, striking out seven, and walking one. Yeah, yeah but you know what? I think uh, I, that's why – you know, pitchers a lot of times in spring training aren't so much worried about the results. I mean, you always want to do well. I get that, but they're, they're, they'll say afterwards if they have a rough one or a good one. No, I was working on this one particular thing, and that's what this outing for me was all about. And uh, you know, I I don't think there's anything to really worry about. But the guy that I'm kind of more interested to see what happens his first time out is Chris Tillman because. The first time he got a chance to, to pitch in a major league spring game, uh, he was just awful. Then he came back and threw very well the second start. The third start, he had the one bad inning, but then he retired 9 of 10. So I'm thinking to myself, well, you know, going forward, you're hoping for Tillman to, to kind of right the ship. And, you know, if he can give the Orioles, say, 70%, of the Chris Tillman that we're used to seeing. I really like the Orioles' chance to be a very competitive team this year. I'm not going to say they're going to win anything or, you know, things of that nature, but if they got the, the guys in that rotation uh, that can step up, you know, we'll see what brings what it brings for Cashner tonight, Cobb when he starts, that kind of thing. But uh, if, if Chris Tillman can give you 60 to 70%, of what Chris Tillman's given you in the past, I think that bodes well for this team going forward and being a competitive team in this division. Are you guys surprised that as Buck laid out his first four starters with the off day, that based on Chris Tillman's year last year, mm-hmm. that he's going to throw them out on opening night in Houston when they, you know, they get the World Series rings and, and all that stuff? Or this is like, hey, look, we need to see what we have right now Let's well, go. I think it's a it's a it's a combination of two things. I think number one, because he is veteran, I don't think Buck's going to dwell on. Geez, can he handle the either his, his stuff will handle it psychologically, emotionally. He'll be fine handling that. Mike Wright, a very different story, maybe the night that they're getting their World Series rings. You know, sure, and a, a sold out crowd. I, I had another question. How surprised were you guys that, that Chris Davis led off opening day? And was it solely reflective of Jake Odorizzi's splits against left-handed and right-handed hitters? Or do you think this is truly something that Buck is looking at right now to go into the season with? Craig, I'll let you answer first. Well, I, I, I'm interested to see how long the experiment lasts. Uh, I knew there was a good possibility of this because it was done in spring training not often, granted, but toward the end, it was it was done the last couple of weeks. Uh, when you think about the fact that, and you know, we can get on Chris Davis about called third strikes and things of that nature, but he does see a lot of pitches. He does walk quite a bit, uh, and and really, you you want to try to get your leadoff guy on. Now, I mean, obviously, Chris is not a speed demon by any means, but. Nonetheless, it gives the Orioles the opportunity to get the leadoff guy on. How long it will last, I don't know. Uh, but for me, if, if we're going to have Chris Davis 
put up the kind of numbers we expect to have Chris Davis put up, then I, I, I still like him down around the five or the six hole. Uh, and, and I think uh, I, what I did like about the lineup the other day was the Machado scope and uh, Adam Jones, two, three, four. Uh, I, I, I did like that a whole lot. You know, it's something that maybe the Orioles are just looking at with Davis. I think Oda Rizzi's uh, reverse splits did have something to do with it, Adam. Uh, but, um, you know, let's let's see what happens with this. And, and, and you know, the other part about it is it's going to have to be something, I think, if they if they try it for a little bit of time, that Chris Davis is going to have to become comfortable with and maybe he can adjust to it. I mean, remember, there's been a lot of there's been a lot of leadoff hitters for this team. And Adam Jones was asked to do it the one year and, and, and turned out that it wasn't that bad an idea for Buck. So we'll see what happens with it. Yeah, I I think this is Buck uh, sort of trying to take a little pressure off of Chris Davis by trying to get him just back into being the hitter that he can be uh, and relaxing a little bit and and being maybe more conscious of the on-base factor, you know. And uh, I think it's a way to take a little pressure off of him by taking him out of those immediate RBI situations. Look, he's going to get RBI situations whether he bats first or fifth or third, you know. Uh, but I like it to start the season. I think it's a thing to let him get into the season. And I think if Chris is successful, it's ironic. I think if he's successful in the role leading off would mean to me that at a certain point, two weeks down the road, three weeks down the road, he's back in the four or five slot. So his success yeah, moves him down. Yeah. The other part about that too. The other part about that too, Stan, is that it will give him more opportunities uh, in in some instances uh, to to drive in runs just because he's getting more at bats anyhow. Yep. So yep. I, I think it's a good experiment to try for a while, and you know we'll see what happens. Yeah, I don't think they have a perfect leadoff hitter on on this team. You know, and that's one of the reasons a lot of people I know really thought that the guy they should have gone out and acquired rather than Rasmus was somebody like John Jay who could have been a leadoff hitter who has a proven track record of getting on base at a 340-plus clip uh, as opposed to Colby Rasmus is down around 315. Uh, but it'll be interesting. That reverse split, uh, that's the reason, Craig, that Gentry got the start over Rasmus against the right-handed yeah, pitcher? Yeah, pretty much. I think that's what you saw with that. And then, uh, I, I mean, it's it's really weird to look at those numbers and under and try to understand how Jake Odorizzi can put up those kind of numbers against, you know, lefties as opposed to the righties and, and the reverse. You know, it was really weird. But uh, that's, that's the main reason. So I think we'll see Colby Rasmus tonight. All right. Orioles and the Twins, by the way, game two of the season starts tonight at 7.05. And who's pitching for the Twins? I know Kashner's going for the Orioles. I can't remember who's going for the Twins. Gibson. Uh, Kyle Kyle Gibson is going. It's Gibson. Gibson is pitching game two. Uh, Interesting, uh, Craig, you weren't down in spring training, and neither were you, and I didn't really see Kashner at all pitch. But Caleb Joseph said he was really looking forward to what Kashner brings to the table kind of psychologically. Uh, he's, you know, a very emotional, in-your-face kind of pitcher. And he said, he ha- we haven't had a guy like this in the five years. And he goes, I'm looking to see, I'm looking forward to seeing what that does to the team. This sounds like a guy 
a very different breed than what the Orioles with quiet guys like Zach Britton and Chris Tillman and, uh, you know, even Arietta when he went, you know, all those young guys coming up, there wasn't kind of a maniac in the bunch. No, there wasn't, but uh, by the same token, it's, it's, it's nice to have a little different personality, yeah. uh, I think, too. And, uh, you know, I'm interested to see how he bounces back. Uh, you know, 11-11 and 11 last year. Uh, through 166 innings, so you know that's on the upside. I think so. Well, you know, I I really kind of like this acquisition along with Cobb, and I think it gives the Orioles two more guys to go in a rotation that has two guys in the front of it that you think are going to be okay the more they develop. And this, to me, could be the calming influence on everybody. The fact that this guy's got the experience, you know, that he has, so. Uh, again, I'm, I'm, I'm happy they got him. Was it the first guy they wanted to see, you know, in the free agency market? No, I don't think so if they had their druthers. But I think this can be a very serviceable guy for the Orioles. Yeah, remember, they needed three guys. Most teams yeah. were looking for one. The Orioles ended up signing three free agents, including one of their own, Chris Tillman, Cashner, and, of course, Alex Cobb. Uh, Craig, I know you were with Buck before the game. I'm almost positive you were. Uh, tell me a little bit, what what seems to be the game plan for Alex Cobb right now? Well, I mean, it, the, the, the game plan for Alex was probably somewhere around uh, the ninth or so, I think, and he was going to go down there and, and have extended spring training and, uh, you know, get his get himself stretched out and go from there. Uh, I expect him to be up here probably the second time through the rotation. All right. Um, now let's flip over to the other team that you follow pretty closely. Uh, nothing unusual there from Max Scherzer in, in start number one? No, not, not really. It was pretty much Max, and he threw 100 pitches uh, yesterday. got out of a couple of – there were two innings where he had runners in scoring position – where he needed a big pitch to get out of trouble, and he got it both times. So, I mean, he's off to a good start, and it's nothing less than what you'd expect out of out of Max Scherzer. And the, you had the 10 strikeouts to go along with it. Uh, they manufactured both their runs. Uh, Adam Eaton back, and he's healthy again, and he's going to be a big, big deal for this club this year, I think, at the top of that lineup. He winds up getting on base. Zimmerman hits a ground ball eventually that – uh, the Reds are not able to hit, uh, turn two on, and then the uh, Adam Eaton comes in to score the first run in the first inning. And then later on, uh, in the ninth, I guess it was, they had the sacrifice fly from Michael A. Taylor. So, uh, again, not a lot of offense because Homer Bailey was pretty darn good himself yesterday. So it was basically, uh, it was basically Scherzer out-dueling uh, Homer Bailey, uh, and, and the Nats wind up getting a win. We'll see what Steven Strasburg does tonight. Or this afternoon, I should say. Hey, Craig, who's who's the new bench coach for uh, for the Nats this year? Ah, uh, don't ask me that. Oh. <laughs> I knew somebody was going to ask me that. I forget. I, I, I thought uh, that, and, and you're talking about intensity, and you're talking about Max Scherzer. I thought one of the funniest things that came out of yesterday. Who is their bench he, coach? He's, we're, we're looking it up. Oh, okay. Um, but yeah. but the funny the funniest thing that came out was, you know, as the players still get to know Dave Martinez and and some of his new additions, 
Scherzer came off the field yesterday after getting out of a sticky situation, and the new bench coach went over to give him a high five, and he and Scherzer walked right past him and ducked him. And <laughs> Derek Lilliquist, the pitching coach, goes, Scherzer told the new bench coach, Scherzer doesn't do high fives during the game. Right. I mean, that's – you, that's it goes to yeah, show you that they're still learning these learning, guys. They're learning these guys. That's it. Well, there, there there is a learning curve with that, but I mean, Max has always been his own guy. I mean, yeah, you, you know, you hear the story back in spring training where, uh, you know, Dave Martinez gets to the ballpark every morning around five or five thirty, and uh, he's he he really wanted to see Max Scherzer that day, and uh, Scherzer was tucked away in a room, and this is three weeks before the start of the season, and he's already looking at video of Cincinnati Reds, and this is three weeks before his first start of the year. So, I mean, I don't think there's any question as to uh, exactly uh, where Max Scherzer's head is. He's always in the game. He's always, you know, trying to stay a step ahead of everything else that everybody else does, and it bodes well for the Nationals, uh, when he's able to go out there and do on day one what he was able to do yesterday. Craig, how, how different is his demeanor the other four days of the week when he's not pitching? Is uh, there a huge totally drop different. Is it Totally different. Yeah, you can you can approach him. You can talk to him. Uh, the day before he starts, uh, you probably want to shy away from him. But uh, for the most part, uh, he, he's a jokester a lot of times. Uh, uh, he's very cordial. Uh, but on, on, on the day before he pitches and pretty much the day he pitches, uh, you probably want to stay away from him a little bit. All right. Well, Craig, we appreciate it. Um, we appreciate your being on and today your, with your us. Ben, your bench coach is Chip Hale, and I should have known that off the top of my Chip head. Hale. Chip Hale. Okay. All right. Well, you're getting to know these guys as well. Chip Hale, former, yeah. former manager with the Arizona Diamondbacks. Craig, enjoy your uh, Saturday morning off, and we'll catch you at the ballpark tonight. Really appreciate it. All right. Wizards and Hornets at 3, and then hopefully some baseball later tonight. All right. where Are you at the Wizards tonight? Uh, 3 o'clock start, yeah. And John Wall should be back in the lineup today. Wow. Okay. Good news. Is that a good thing or a bad thing? That's a good thing. I I think that's that's a good thing thing because uh, they played very well the first few weeks he was out. I'd say the first three weeks he was out. And it's kind of evened itself out since then. Uh, but somebody asked me on the show last night uh, that I was on, uh, what's what's with Bradley Beal and how's he handled everything? And I said, I think he's handled it well. But I think what I do see out of Bradley is I think Bradley's kind of getting exhausted by all of this. And I think uh, once John Wall gets back, how much better that's going to make them going down the stretch into the playoffs, we'll have to wait and see. But I think you'll see a fresher Bradley Beal. All right. Thank you, Craig. See you at the, All right, uh, So will you be at the park tonight? Uh, I'm hoping. It depends on the length of the uh depends on the length of the game uh, down in DC. All right. Good luck. Drive All carefully. Right. All right, there you have it. Uh, I made an executive uh, decision that we were going to take a break here and then make our connection with Rob Nelson of Big League Chew. He's the founder and owner of Big League Chew. Uh, we'll talk to Rob, uh, get some opening day stories from him, hear about some exciting news between Big League Chew and the hometown nine. That'll be when uh, the battle round continues right after these words. 
When I think about things that have over-delivered in my life, I think about blueberry pie Oreos, I think about the first Kingsman movie, and now I think about hammering nails in the Owings Mills Metro Center. My first trip to the ultimate man cave nirvana blew me away. When I got there, I went to the back room. Oh, this is where the magic happens. I got my first ever manicure and pedicure treatment. It was so relaxing. I understand why a lot of guys actually fall asleep back there. The seat was custom crafted for my comfort. I had a flat screen in front of me with noise-canceling headphones so I could watch whatever game I wanted to, and I was even sipping on a nice adult beverage. Then I went out, and Tracy hooked me up with a really stylish haircut. She took care of me with the shampoo treatment, the hot steam towel. You can even get the Close Edge Razor Shave, all at Hammer & Nails Owings Mills. Memberships are available. They make a great gift. On Mondays, you can rent out Hammer & Nails for your corporate event. Trust me when I tell you, this is an experience all guys must have. Hammer & Nails, grooming shop for guys, now open in the Owings Mills Metro Center. Looking for an exciting new crossover vehicle that has the legroom and cargo space of an SUV? Then you need to look at the all-new Eclipse Cross at Jerry's Mitsubishi. Wow! Once you get behind the wheel of the new Eclipse Cross, you won't want to let go. Available in all-wheel drive, the new Eclipse Cross at Jerry's comes equipped with a 7-inch touchscreen with Apple CarPlay and Android Auto, plus head-up display and adaptive cruise control. And right now, Jerry's has a $1,000 dealer discount available. Do it. Go see the New Eclipse Cross at Jerry's Mitsubishi on Joppa Road or online at jerrysmitsubishi.com. Okay, so what do you get when you combine the Chick-fil-A Vanilla Ice Dream and their Simply Orange Juice? Well, introducing the all-new Frosted Sunrise from our friends at Chick-fil-A Nottingham Square. It's perfect with breakfast, lunch, or dinner. Nothing refreshes like the Chick-fil-A Frosted Sunrise. And hey, if you prefer lemon, try the Frosted Lemonade. Don't forget to think about Chick-fil-A Nottingham Square as well. For all of your catering needs, graduation parties coming up, Chick-fil-A Nottingham Square, 5198 Campbell Boulevard, in the Nottingham Square Shopping Center. KZ, Sari, the NFL Chick KO from the Press Box Fantasy and Reality Football Show. You can hear it by going to pressboxonline.com slash fantasy every Sunday morning from 10 a.m. to noon. And you can also check us out on facebook.com slash pressboxsports. We talk about college football. We talk about the NFL. We talk about the fantasy aspect. We talk about the reality aspect. And we talk about soccer. The, the other type of football. No. No, we don't. We don't? No. Never? No. Yeah, not really. Tennis? No. Nope. Rugby? Nope. No? Just no, football. Just NFL football. football. College, College football. College football. Every Sunday morning, 10 a.m. to noon, Press Box Fantasy and Reality Football Show. They say you're only as strong as the company you keep. The U.S. Army keeps you in strong company. If you want to stand out, the Army can give you the training you need. To take advantage of the strong options waiting for you, visit GoArmy.com. You may qualify for up to a $40,000 signing bonus. Start your future today at www.GoArmy.com slash impact. There's strong, then there's Army strong. Paid for by the United States Army. And we are back on the battle round on this Saturday morning, 31st of May. Again, two ways to tune in. One, listening uh, on your computer or ta- tablet or phone at pressboxonline.com slash radio. Or go to facebook.com slash pressboxsports and you can watch uh, all or part of the show uh, on Facebook Live. Joining us now is somebody I met a couple years ago. And I haven't probably talked to him in over a year. It is the founder and still the owner, the Big Honcho at Big League Chew, 
That's Rob Nelson. Rob, how are you? Good morning. It's a pleasure to be on. It is. It's a pleasure to wake up on this side of things, isn't it? (laughs) Hey, Rob, uh, all kidding aside, since we last talked, I know somebody you were particularly fond of, and uh, Adam, he served as a mentor to Adam for a number of years. We lost a good one last August in Joe Klein. Joe was the best. What was so special about Joe? The thing about Joe Klein is if you sat down and had breakfast with him, you had no idea what he had accomplished, all the things that he'd done, all the ball players that he'd signed, all the people that he helped out. He just treated everybody as if they were family. Absolutely rare gem of a guy. Uh, Just one quick story. I needed baseballs to ship over to South Africa where I played baseball many years ago. And, and uh, they're going through hard times there. And I met him on the, on the highway, and he had six dozen baseballs for me. <laughs> you know, in, in the middle of the, uh, you know, at a rest area, and it's raining, and it's, you know, it's like we're doing some illicit it deal. Sound, it, sounded like a dr- me. it sounded like a drug deal, but it was a baseball yeah, deal. Exactly <laughs> right. You know, and uh, he hands me these pearls, and the team, they're still using those baseballs. It, it's just he was just a remarkable guy, and uh, I, I'm so sad that he is gone because uh, the point needs. Yeah, hey Nelly, thanks for uh, making it to the East Coast. So we didn't have to call you early on the West Coast and, and wake you up. And and you know when we talked yesterday and just confirmed that uh, that you were going to be on. And and the great thing was when I told when I told you that I was doing the show and Stan asked me to do the show this this Saturday. Um, the first person he asked about was you because. The insight that you bring, and I'm like, well, let me track them down. So we, we tracked you down, and unbeknownst to me, there had been something going on in, in, in the works with uh, with Big League Chew and, and certainly here in Baltimore. And, uh, you know, everybody knows of Big League Chew's involvement with Ripken Baseball. But talk a little bit, uh, as much as you can, about the very, very exciting news coming up for, uh, for Big League Chew. Well, you know, as you well know, Adam, I, I moved Big League Chew uh, uh, over to a small town outside of Buffalo, New York, about eight years ago. I'm at the Ford Gum Company, and it's the little gum company that can. It's one of the rare bubblegum companies still manufacturing in the USA. And the fact that they're in western New York is just awesome. And to be a little company working as hard as they do, uh, we just signed an agreement with the Orioles the first major league team that will officially be uh, stocking their dugouts and pit, and uh, uh, bullpens uh, with Big League Chew Bubblegum. And we are just over the moon with that. We're a very small company. We're up against some major competition that pretty much gives away their gum. And uh, the Orioles were gracious enough to say, you know, our guys really want the best gum. They're in the big leagues. They want to chew the big leagues. And uh, so we struck up a small deal. Uh, and, and we're, we're over the moon about it. I just can't wait to see some big league bubbles uh, coming out of that Oriole dugout. Well, I'll tell you one thing. Uh, you may be a small company, but you've built up with Big League Chew a big-time brand uh, that resonates throughout the world of baseball. Rob, I'm not trying to be funny here. Uh, baseball has had a long-standing problem with chewing tobacco, and you get, you get these kids... <laughs> You get these kids that are addicted to it. 
think it's cool and don't really understand the dangers of it. Does baseball feel that gum should be sort of the the replacement for that and that this can actually help players be healthier? I, I think there's no question that, that Big League Chew is the funnel. I mean, that's what, that was my way back. We've got to do this. We gotta we gotta hang up with Rob and try and call him right back. Okay, we're gonna do that because it's uh, good stuff and we hate to lose it. All we, right. We had um, the first time I met Rob Nelson was we were in um, we were in uh, Long Island, and it was when the Ripkins and Maryland baseball owned the Aberdeen Arsenal of the Atlantic League, which was gonna play right. eventually in Ripken Stadium, and we. Uh, Billy Ripken ended up managing the club for a weekend because Daryl Evans, our manager, had to go back to Atlanta for a celebrity home run hitting contest. And Billy says, don't make plans for Saturday night. I have a friend, Rob Nelson. He's going to take us out to dinner. Right. So we're out in Long Island. And all of a sudden, I go to Billy. I go, like, in the seventh inning. I said, when's he showing up? And he goes, Adam, he's sitting on the end of the bench. And, and I thought it was the bus driver. And we ended up going 15 innings. And Rob's brothers ran a restaurant in Long Island called the Lobster Inn. And we ended up... A family restaurant? A family lobster restaurant. Right. And it was... We ended up... There's about eight of us. It was Billy Ripkin, John Habian, Rick Wise, wow. myself, and uh, our trainer, and some of our other coaches. And it was the first night that I had met Rob Nelson. And the dinner that we had, and the baseball stories, and the drinks that were flowing was just one of those amazing baseball nights that you're just right. lucky enough to be a part of. And, and that was the first time I had met Nelly and didn't have, know anything about him with Big League Chew until we've that got, night. We've got Rob back on. Um, do you remember the first night, Rob, that you met this guy sitting next to me, Adam Gladstone? Because he remembers the first night you two met. <laughs> uh, it's probably when the, the Aberdeen Arsenal were playing the Long Island Ducks. <laughs> yeah, that's and, it. Uh, uh, you know, and I had rented a big van and took Bill Ripken and Adam and John Habian and just a host of uh, Rick Wise. Yep. Rick, Rick took Wise. Took, uh, took my brother to, uh, took, took them to my brother's place, the Lobster Inn, uh, out on the east end of Long Island, and we absolutely had a ball. God, it was hilarious. Yeah, he remembered it equally as, as well. I got to tell this story, though, because yeah. the best part of that night was Dan DePace, who realized... <laughs> that night that he played against Rob's brother in the AA Eastern League, Dan had this barter card that he got from his wife that allowed him to pay for meals without actually having to pay for money. And we were convinced that Daryl Evans put him on his staff so that he wouldn't have to, so that Daryl wouldn't have to pay for any meals. And as we mentioned, we might have had a few Stellas that night. And it was almost like Gilligan's Island. The, the weather started getting rough and the lights went out. And right. we convinced Dan that he had had so many Stellas that he put out his barter card to pay for this big league meal. So the next morning at the ballpark, because we had a day game, everybody went up to Dan and started slapping him on the back saying, hey, thank you for dinner. And he, he, you know, he turned white as a ghost. Like, he's like, he pulls me aside and he goes, what are everybody talking about? I said, Dan, you had such a good time last night. You wanted to pay the bill with your barter card. He goes, I can't do that. My wife's going to kill me. <laughs> And, and obviously Nelly was the one that picked right. up the tab. But right. we, it was typical baseball <laughs> night. 
Nelly, soft peddling. He says such a small company. He picked up the check. Picked wow. Up the check, yeah. Wow. <laughs> Is your your brother still have that restaurant, the Lobster Inn? Well, you know my my brother's really best friend at Wagner College way back in the late sixties uh, opened this small place called the Lobster Inn, and Harry came in uh, as one of the managers, maitre d' extraordinaire. My brother Ed was a bartender. I was a dishwasher slash uh, busboy. And uh, the Lobster Inn is now closed. Skip oh. is retired. He's down in Florida. My brother Harry's still out here on the East End. But the late, great Lobster Inn uh, lives on. It was a legendary place. My dad used to call it our clubhouse. And uh, yeah. and Adam will, will confirm that it really was like a clubhouse. Just an awesome collection of, of staff. The men and the women that work there, it's like an exclusive fraternity. It was really just a wonderful four decades of uh, wow. just good times. A lot of college kids would show up on Memorial Day. We had no schedule. You just worked from Memorial Day to Labor Day, and then you went back to school. Yep. And a lot of us stayed there way longer than that. And uh, my brother Ed was teaching for years, still does, special ed, that's his name, and that's what he teaches. And he was a bartender for many, many summers at the Lobster Inn, uh, kind of holding court and when the three of us were in the same room together, it was just some of the greatest nights of my life. I just, wanted, awesome. I just want to do a quick reset. We're talking with Rob Nelson, who started and founded Big League Chew. Adam? Nelly, I'm, I'm going to start the story, but but as we're talking about baseball, we're talking about the, the great night that night at the Lobster Inn. Tell a little bit, and, and, and like I said, I'll start it, you finish it, about when Dan DePace, who was our hitting coach and had played professional baseball, realized that he and your brother Harry had played against each other in the Eastern League. And because it's your brother, you can talk a little bit about physical appearance and, and when Dan and Harry realized they played against each other and Harry pitched at the time against Dan, I guess pick up the story from that point on. Well, in fact, if I remember correctly, it was the Carolina League and okay. Harry was pitching for Greensboro and DePace led the league in hitting that year. Correct. He was he was he was an absolute stud back in the day, but uh, of course he didn't quite recognize or remember my brother who would you know many many years ago decades ago, but Harry's pushing three hundred pounds now, and DePace said you know I don't remember you but my guess is I probably bumped it a lot off. Of you. <laughs> <laughs> it, was, it was just it was like just like again being in a, in a dugout where nothing is sacred and you just poke fun at anybody's foibles. And, 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 of course, we, we just we all had a good laugh. Listen, I wanted to get back before we uh, – I lost uh, connection yeah. with you there. Yep. About the Big League Chew stuff and the tobacco thing. Yeah. You know, I came, I came up with the idea as the fun alternative to that, and, and that's really been the case. And most interestingly, I, I was you – know, it's, it's kind of an obsession with me when anybody says that, you know, doesn't Big League Chew send the wrong message? And my first response is, you know, think of it as like a brown bottle of root beer instead of a pint of Guinness. Yep. So I, I, I absolutely do not think that in any way my brand has hurt the, the, the whole issue with the, the anti-tobacco. No, it's thing. exactly it's, the opposite of that, yeah. Well, in 1986, uh, there were 55 million pounds of uh, leafy tobacco sold in America. 50, 55 style. million pounds, okay. 55 million, and last year the number was down to 18 million. Okay. So it's been dropped by two-thirds, and I think that Big League Chew probably had something to do with that. I think more importantly, though, ballplayers are smart, and they realize that 
chewing tobacco or smoking tobacco or tobacco of any kind uh, is a performance debilitating drug. It, it really will affect your career and more importantly, shorten your career. And with guys making serious money going into the later years of their baseball life, they, they're not going to do anything that's going to cur- curtail uh, the financial possibilities. Never mind that blowing bubbles is a lot more fun and a lot cooler. No. And I love seeing when a guy makes a great catch and he's jogging in and he blows himself a, uh, a, a softball-sized bubble as he uh, gets into the dugout and, and high-fives his teammates. So I feel really good about the whole thing. And, and uh, I just can't believe it's been 40 years since it all happened. You know, 1977 was the summer I came up with this. Uh, my great partner, so, so the, lo- the so wait a minute, the Lobster Inn opened about the, roughly the same year. Oh no, it was forty nope. different year. I'm sorry. Go ahead, go ahead. My yeah, math no, the is Lobster screwed. Inn, Lobster Inn opened in 1969, the year uh, of the Mets. I got you. Okay. And and some people in your area would say the year of the Orioles, right. but, but not so right. much. Right. But but that's okay. That but, was the uh, year. '69 was the year that we got beat, skunked by all the New York teams. The Jets beat That's the right. Colts, the uh, bu- right. the Bullets lost to the Knicks, and the Mets beat the Orioles. Go ahead with your story. I'm sorry. Yeah, but what, uh, what a great time to be uh, in college uh, in upstate New York in the student union, seeing all those victories. It, it, it was uh, it was pretty spectacular. But anyway, getting getting back to uh, you know so very long ago, coming up with one simple idea, uh, Jim Bouton found a division of Wrigley that liked the idea. Jim and I became partners. He was just an absolute uh, uh, go-to guy in terms of making sure they, they made the brand strong and the distribution was good. I mean, without Jim Bouton, it would not have happened. I remember when we had the discussion, when he asked me, did I ever chew? We were looking at teammates, and I told him, I said, I tried it once for less than a minute, and it never made sense to me. And Jim said, same thing. It was about an inning later. I said, I've had this idea to shred gum and, 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 and put it in a pouch, and we could look good like the other guys, but we wouldn't make ourselves ill. Right. And, and Jim's eyes got as big as, as baseballs. He said, Rob, I could sell that idea. What would you call it? And it was like out of the blue that, that they said, I, I don't know, probably Big League too. My brother had always last, or maybe it was Harry, uh, our big brother, uh, said that, you know, that story, it's like four guys in a pub in Liverpool, and one guy says, what are we going to call a band? Right. And, 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 and one of them says, how about Beatles? That, that's, that's a cool name. You know, it just, it just absolutely, I plucked it out of the air, and as luck would have it, strangely enough, I didn't make the Portland Maverick team when I first came to Oregon, and so I started a baseball day camp called the Little Maverick Baseball School, the dad of one of the kids in the baseball school was a patent attorney, the late, great Dan Chernoff. We both had gone to Cornell, different decades, but an awesome guy. He did all the legal work for a song. It's one of the reasons I stayed in Portland, Oregon. It seemed like whenever I had an idea, there was somebody who was there to help me out or knew somebody who would help me out. So we had Dan Chernoff. We had Jim Bouton. It, 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 talk about it takes a village to get something going. Uh, Big League Chew is a living example of that. But the funny thing is with Big League Chew, the first deal with Wrigley was a three-year deal. They thought it would be a fun novelty idea. And, uh, and, and of course, here we are four decades later. I, uh, time and again, I say I'm the luckiest left-hander that, that ever played the game. 
Rob, uh, no question. Rob, before we let you go, give me give me one great opening day story. That's kind of why I, I thought of having you on because you, you know you you hanging around the miners for so long. It's got to be a couple great great opening day stories. You know, the opening day story I have is a little unusual because I was pitching in London. It was the tail end of my career. It was my second season there, and before I got on the mound, I always turned to center field. And, of course, there was no American flag there. But I always took my hat off and and faced center field and just said the words and the home of the brave and then put my hat on and went on the mound. And it was my small way of thanking the baseball gods for giving me the chance to be pitching well into my 40s under the circumstances. And the second year that I went out to pitch, uh, I went to the rosin bag, turned to the center field and I looked around and all my British teammates were facing center field and they all had their hats off. That's a great story. And it was like just a small thing. Our second baseman, Steve Simmons knew that I had that tradition. And he told the other guys and said, Nelly would really like this. And, uh, one of the coolest opening days a guy could ever imagine. All right. Well, thank you for sharing that story with us and, uh, being back on the show been way too long i'll reach out to you sometime when adam's not around then we can yeah, really, guys are really then we can really find out the truth about adam gladstone <laughs> rob it's thanks good, believe will, me. will this uh, deal with the orioles mean you're here once in a great while uh i will be in baltimore in july so we should get together and figure that out All oddly right. enough my son has a couple of lacrosse tournaments he's gone to the dark side but I love every minute of it, and I will be in the Baltimore area. We've got to have dinner one All now. right, sounds great. Thanks for being on with us, Rob. Thank you, gentlemen. You guys are awesome. All right, Bye now. thank you. Big League Chew in the Orioles signing, a, as he says, a small agreement, but there's no such thing as a small deal when you get to work with a big league club. Big League Chew in the Orioles, what a great combination. Uh, we're not taking a break this time. Our Brittany Everett is feverishly dialing the digits now. And uh, the Orioles announced uh, about 10 days ago the newest members of their Hall of Fame. And, of course, uh, going in is Brian Roberts, the longtime second baseman of the Orioles, who I think is probably the best player the Orioles have developed after Ripken and Murray through, like, Machado and Scope and all that for about a 20-year period. I thought Brian Roberts was the best player we've developed. What Buck wouldn't want right now for a leadoff hitter, oh, switch to a leadoff yeah. lead hitter like uh, like Brian Roberts yep. right now? Absolutely. Yep. All right. I'd play him in left field and scope at second. Now I've got Mancini out there. I'll leave those decisions to Buck. Joining us now from his home in Tampa, Florida, where he and his lovely wife Maureen Manfra moved uh, a short time ago. Uh, how long's it been, Fred? Fred Manfra, what's it been, about seven months you've been living there? June of last summer, Stan. Okay. Time flies, man. Oh, yes, it does. Uh, hey, and as we get older, it flies even quicker. Hey, you remember Adam Gladstone, who's sitting next to me? Certainly do, Adam. How are you? I'm great, Fred. Great to hear you, and congratulations on, on oh. not only a great career, but it's an honor to be on this side of the microphone with you and, and your future uh, involvement with the Orioles Hall of Fame. Congratulations. Well, thank you. Still, I'm still pinching myself. I have never in a million years ever dreamed when I was growing up in East Baltimore that, first of all, I'd ever broadcast for the Orioles. I had always hoped that I might play or broadcast for them, 
or make the Hall of Fame. But uh, boy, it, it still when when I got that call from Bill Stetka, I said, "Bill, are you sure?" He said, "I am sure," and it, it's uh, it's still setting in each and every day when I get calls from friends around the country and congratulating me. I, I still pinch myself and say, wow, it really has happened. Well, it is certainly well-deserved, Fred. A long and distinguished broadcasting career and Oriole broadcasting career, and it's a great way to kind of put that closure on that. You know, Jim Palmer used to talk about when he retired, the thing he missed most was the the fraternity of of the clubhouse and being with his teammates and all that. And it was a hard adjustment for him. Being away now, what is, and you've had some time last year where you were away from it, but what has been the toughest thing? You must have felt like when February 8th rolled around or 10th and you knew Joe Angel was arriving in Sarasota, you must have felt like part of you wanted to be there. Well, of course. Uh, Jim uh, put the, he really hit the, the nail on the head when he said it's the fraternity, the quotes, family. And I think that's what I miss most. Uh, uh, sometimes you go to the ballpark and you may not have had a good day at home or things have not gone well. You couldn't start your car. But you go to the ballpark and then you see friendly faces that you know, whether it be in the Oreo Clubhouse or with Joe in the broadcast booth, and we'd start kidding around. And all of a sudden, things kind of, uh, let's just say, got so much better. Uh, that is what I miss the most, the camaraderie, the friendship, and the family of baseball. I miss the games. I miss doing the broadcasting of the games. I do not miss the pre- and post-game stuff that you have to do on the air. But it would be uh, certainly nice just maybe to sit down and just broadcast games, and that's all you have to worry about. Plus, uh, with my physical condition, uh, Stan, as we talked yesterday, as yep. we get older, things <laughs> things start breaking down, and it was getting more and more difficult on road trips to make that journey. Even though they take you into the ballpark, you still had to make a, a long walk from where they drop you off on the bus in center field all around the ballpark to the, where you get to the elevators to go up to the press box. I don't miss that. I don't miss arriving at hotels at 4.30 in the morning on the road with a morning newspaper waiting for you as you arrive at the hotel. Uh, when I was young, it didn't bother me. But as I got older, it started wearing. And uh, I, I'm really settled into the fact that I am retired. I get to see my grandkids five to six times a week. Yesterday, they came over. And my kids, my grandkids were sitting on my lap as I was reading them a book. And it is really kind of special to have that proximity. They live 10 doors away uh, from Marlene and me here in Tampa, and it's been so special. That's really a great, uh, great uh, description of w what your life is like right now. Fred, uh, I wanted to have you on, and, and you and I, maybe sometime later in the summer, we'll grab you on and, and talk about the Orioles, hopefully in a pennant race. But I sure. really wanted to talk to you about both uh, both the guy you're going into the Hall of Fame with and somebody else right now who is experiencing exactly what you're going through. And he loved it so much that he went down and volunteered to help this spring. That is the retired now Richie Bansells who threw out the first pitch on opening day. And I got to tell you, of all the first pitches I've seen, and I described it to you, 
what took place afterwards. Richie threw the pitch, and then Adam came out, and they hugged really, you know, you could tell it was meaningful. And then Adam waves all the players over, and all of them came over and hugged Richie, and then they posed for one of the greatest pictures of, of an opening day first pitch with all of them around the guy that helped make it possible for them to perform as well as they did. Your thoughts on what Richie is going through right now as well? Well, I know Richie and I had talked about it often, about the, Richie has grandkids, and, you know, he missed being with the grandkids. When we, we sat across from each other on charter flights, uh, I would sit to the right of Richie. Richie would be sitting just to my left, and as he opened up his computer to either do some work or look at a movie or whatever, pictures of the grandkids were there. And, you know, we would talk about it. And I think that tribute that the team paid to Richie just goes to show you how important the trainers are to an athletic team, mm -hmm. a Major League Baseball team especially. Brian Ebel has that responsibility now. He did a great job assisting Richie for so many years. And Richie, one of the best, if not the best in the game, at keeping the players on the field. And, of course, that is what you want as a, a professional sports franchise. You want those injuries to be taken care of. If they're nagging injuries, you want them to try to uh, get through that injury without uh, doing greater harm to the body. And Richie did such a great job. And it was great to see the respect that the players paid to Richie Van Sells. People don't realize that those guys are there hour upon hour to keep the players ready to go throughout the seven months of baseball. They get there early. They stay late. They do extra things at the hotel uh, when a player is sick. If he's got a flu, they try to get him back on the field. And as I said, Richie, probably one of the best, if not the best, in the entire game at doing that. And, uh, you know, he will be missed. But fortunately, the Orioles have someone that can slide in and had been uh, serving an apprenticeship, let's put it that way. Even though many times it was a co-situation, Brian Ebel is a ter terrific in the job he does to keep the players on the field as well. Fred, I, I wanted to ask you, you know, you, you had, you've had the opportunity to work with a lot of players and a lot of managers. Give us the feeling that you have right now with the club, and I know we'll talk later in the year, and Stan will talk with you more about where the club is at you know maybe June or July, hopefully August still, right still in the alive, thick of yeah. But but talk a little bit about you know what Buck has brought to the club and and what you've seen him instill in this club to get them back to the point of being competitive consistently. Well, I think the fact that Buck Showalter brings to the team, and we've seen it since he's arrived. Even though you may not go to spring training with what everyone else feels is a winning ball club, there is some way, somehow, that the Orioles over the past years, with Buck Showalter at the helm, have been able to disprove all of, quotes us experts as to how that ball club will do. Uh, he brings a certain, let's just say, confidence to a team that they have in him and he has in them that allows the Orioles to, uh, under most circumstances, supersede the expectations of others. And I think that's going to happen this year. 
Fred, this, this gives me an opportunity to say thank you for, for something that you did, and, and hopefully you'll laugh when we, when we reminisce about this. And My role with the club in 2014 was the epitome of the Wizard of, of Oz. I was behind the scenes. Nobody really knew, which was great. I liked that role. And you asked me to do a pregame interview. When we were in <laughs> Toronto, we were sitting on the steps, and I must have eaten something that, that didn't sit well with me, and you made me feel so comfortable, even though I had to interrupt that interview three times and, and that was a testament to you and just making me feel at ease and, and, and I'm glad I get this opportunity for everybody that's listening to say thank you for the way that you treated me in that situation with the, well, with Adam, that with with that, so with that Fred, uh, I, with that Fred with that Fred Adam's got to go to the bathroom right now <laughs> Just kidding. We'll just stop kidding. Stop the tape and we'll pick just it up. Kid, just we, kidding. We did that. I know. Explain that story to me. Go ahead, Fred. Okay, Adam. Thank you so much. But I try to treat everyone, even today, the way I would like to be treated and the way you would expect to be treated. And I know on some of those pregame shows, when you, when you talk to the players or you talk to other folks, they were not the most comfortable because they don't do that every day like I do. It would be the same as if I was sitting in your job and having Buck saying, okay, uh, should, we, should we challenge this or not? <laughs> I'd probably be doing the same thing. I'd be going to the bathroom <laughs> at that time as Buck was asking me for those things. Sure. Well, thank you. Hey, hey Fred, I, I said uh, when I talked to you the other day, I said we'll talk a little bit about yourself and congratulate you. I said we'd talk about Richie Bansells. I'm imagining one of the favorite players you had to cover, but it was bittersweet because of injury problems. And I'm imagining the night that Brian Roberts at Yankee Stadium, and I think that was the oh. old that was the old Yankee Stadium, yes. I believe. The shoulder, yeah, yeah diving the first base. Th- yeah, t- re- reflect on that play and his career, which has led him to the Oriole Hall of Fame, because it really was a bittersweet uh, And I heard you guys talking about this as I uh, joined and was listening in. Brian, as a leadoff hitter, was amazing. You know, the the old adage in baseball, you want your leadoff man to allow the next guy in the on-deck circle to see as many pitches as possible. And Brian had the knack of going up there and working that count to three and two, and then start fouling off pitches. And if you didn't get to see the entire variety of pitches the opposing pitcher had that night, something was wrong. Because Brian Roberts was terrific. Terrific defensively. He gave you that spark in the field. He gave you the spark on the bases. He was. And one thing that I, had, I always remembered about Brian, whether you would do a pregame show with Brian Roberts or a postgame, it always hit me in the back of my mind. You know, one of these days, this guy speaks so well, he knows how to express himself, he's going to be a broadcaster. Yeah. And, boy, it came out to be so. And uh, that night when Brian got hurt in New York at Yankee Stadium, you know how you get that upset stomach feeling? Yeah. When I saw that happen, I said, oh, my gosh. Yeah. Here's a kid who all, all those guys are kids to me, how old, whether they're 20s or 30s. But you say, this could be really a disastrous situation for hustle. And that's what happened. Yep. And uh, Brian is, uh, it's, it's so neat to be going in with Brian Roberts. I, I, I can't express it totally how uh, great it is. 
Well, we appreciate your coming on and sharing your thoughts on all those topics. Your career, Richie Bansells and Brian Roberts, we're next going to be joined in a couple minutes by somebody you know a little bit. Ned Rice from the Phillies, the assistant GM from the Phillies, is going to join us. What about the job Andy and Matt and, uh, and Ned and Ben now and Joe Jordan, uh, Orioles North, are doing up in Philadelphia before we let you go? Well, I, I think they've done a pretty good job. I, I, I was hoping that Ryan Flaherty would add to that uh, when he signed with the Phillies, but now Ryan is with the Atlanta Braves. One thing you got to tell Ned is, you know, those Capitals are still a pretty good hockey team. <laughs> and I know he's a huge hockey fan, and uh, and those guys, you know, he. But he he and there's another situation where where you go behind the scenes to to find out. There's more to Major League Baseball than players on the field and the manager. And I'm sure you'll be talking to Ned about that. But uh, he, 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 along with the, 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 the guys you mentioned up there, are doing a pretty good job for the Philadelphia Phillies. In fact, they train over in Clearwater. I was disappointed I, I wasn't over there to watch some of their games. But I, I wish them a lot of success in the National League this year. Hey, Fred, one really feel-good story about Ryan Flaherty not making the Phillies, and Adam reminded me of it. He's now playing with his brother-in-law, right. Mr. Mr. Markakis. Yes. They're married to sisters. That, yeah, they're Nick both had married. that three-run home run the other night when they won in 11, and yep. uh, there's another I, a guy that I, I have such many memories, fond memories of as an Oriole and was so disappointed when uh, Nick was not re-signed by the Orioles because he was another guy that was the epitome of a baseball player. Yeah, yeah. And that's what you can say about Brian Roberts and you can say about Nick Markegas. They were baseball players. All right. Well, th- what we can say about you is you were a great baseball announcer. Fred, thanks again. I hope you don't mind if I reach out to you in a couple months. We'll grab you again on the show and talk just a little baseball about how the pennant races are shaping up. Stan, Adam, thank you so much. You guys uh, be good, and hopefully we'll have good news to report later in the season. All right. uh, Give my best to Maureen, please. I will do that. Thank you, guys. There you go. Fred Manfra, Hall of Famer for the Baltimore Orioles. We're going to make our connection next with the assistant general manager of the Philadelphia Phillies, somebody that uh, you've known for a good while. Ned Rice is going to join us, and it was nice of him to take uh, some time off of his busy schedule. You know, Ned, With uh, I hadn't had the opportunity to, to meet Ned until I got the opportunity with the club. And obviously in the role that I was in, um, high intensity. Um, but Ned was that conduit between Buck and the front office that really Ned was that professional baseball player that you didn't know whether he had a good day or a bad day. He was so even-keeled. He was um, – intuitive you know you could he was open for discussion um and and there's no surprise to me that ned's been able to progress to where he's gone if and if it wasn't with philadelphia it would have been in in baltimore but i'm just excited for him to get the opportunity to introduce him well it's our pleasure to welcome ned rice the assistant general manager to the bat around with stan the fan and adam gladson who's pinch hitting not not involved on a daily basis (laughs) Making that evident. Weekly basis. In case, a weekly basis in case the Phillies need a new instant replay coordinator because I've worked with Gabe before, just throwing it out there. All right. Just throwing it out there. Just We're joining us there. now is the assistant general manager of the Philadelphia Phillies, Ned Rice. Ned, first of all, thanks for taking some time out of your, what I know is a very busy schedule. 
Thanks for having me. It's great to be here. It's been a while since I've got to catch up with you two. Not well, only because we continue to ask, and you have been so bu- busy building the uh, the Philadelphia Phillies organization. And and as we talked about, Ned, the real reason why we wanted you to come on was to talk about the very positive vibes coming out of Philadelphia. And I'm going to list the think tank, nutrition, advanced analytics, and how excited for you because I know that those are areas that you've always expressed interest in, and how they could help a major league club also trickling down the philosophy, excuse me, philosophies at the minor league level, how excited are you to be able to instrument and be involved with all of these things that are helping to push the Philadelphia Phillies organization into the positive direction that they're going right now? Yeah, thanks for asking. It, it's, been, it's been really exciting uh, up in Philadelphia since we got there. We, we've had unbelievable support from ownership. You know, when you, go to, when you go to ownership and you say, hey, we would like to spend, you know, X number of dollars on minor league nutrition, uh, you, need to have a, you need to have a group that really kind of, that gets it, knows what, gets, understands the point of that and, and how it can help your players uh, in, order to, in order to move forward with that. So we've, we've been super, super lucky to get that kind of support. And I think the players have really responded well. I mean, nutrition's a great example where uh, all of you guys have been around minor league baseball for many years, and guys, you know, they don't make a lot of money, and they try to stop at Wendy's on the way in. Kind of so, like the media, uh, kind of like the local media. <laughs> very similar, very similar. <laughs> uh, but so, so yeah, so now we we provide them, a, you know, a lunch, you know, when they get to the park at noon, a pregame meal, a postgame meal, and try to make it tasty and nutritious and you know, we we've always thought it was weird that you have a strength and conditioning coach at every minor league level that's that's trying to do everything they can to make the player the healthiest and in the best shape they can be. But then we have, you know, we don't spend any time worrying about what they eat. But that just doesn't make a lot of sense. So, uh, but you're right. There's there's a million little things like that that take a lot of time and a lot of effort that don't you don't necessarily uh, see on the field. But we we think goes a long way to hopefully building a consistent winning baseball team. Ned, if I remember correctly, you didn't break into the game in the traditional baseball operations role. There, there were some other things that you were involved in, and then you transitioned into baseball operations. And I think any of us that's ever been involved with baseball operations always in the back of their mind starts putting together uh, their dream team of people that they would want to work with if they ever got that opportunity to, to pull the trigger and make those decisions. When did someone like Ben Worthen, and, and one of the things that I've talked on this show whenever I've been here is how instrumental guys who are behind the scenes, Ned Rice, a Ben Worthen, a Mike Silverman, you know, the, the Trip Nortons, the conduits between the dugout and the front office become that, that, that help really drive what the organization's doing that nobody really knows about on a daily basis. When did someone like a Ben Worthen in your mind, make you realize, hey, listen, this is a guy that if I ever had the opportunity, I would certainly lobby for him to join the club. And for our, our listeners out there, Ben was instrumental with the Orioles' advance uh, scouting reports, uh, handled the the advance reports within the, the Orioles' clubhouse before every series. But he also did it replay, so he was doing double duty. And then I was lucky enough to bring him to, to the World Baseball Classic and was instrumental, uh, he and Alex Jacobs, in, in, in putting us in a position to be successful. Tell us when, when Ben Worthen really got on your radar screen. 
Yeah, like you said, Ben was our advanced scout with the Orioles for six years or something, and and we used to have some. We used to have a scout go out ahead of the team and and do it in person. And uh, he was just interning with the Orioles, and at one point, Buck came to us and said, "This guy really knows what he's doing. Like, what if we had him, you know, travel with the team full time and and do all the advanced scouting for us?" And you know, we we thought it was great, and uh, he's he's done an amazing job. Buck's Buck's a tough guy to work for in that sense is because of how important preparation is and and how and how he wants to have every single thing ready to go before every game and uh so you better you better be on top of better be on top of it if you're going to be in that role and Ben always is like that but you're right when you when you the, when you're in the game for a while you, you meet so many people that uh do such a great job and you know can contribute to a winning baseball team and the Orioles have a ton of them it's funny when you leave. You're like, well, you know, and this person can come do this. This person can do this. You're not allowed to just hire. <laughs> You're not allowed to take ten, twelve people with you when you go to the when you go to a new team. But we're lucky to have Ben and his role with us now. He is uh, working on being a liaison between our on-field players and staff and our research and development department to really uh, to make sure all of these analytical, uh, you know, things and recommendations make their way. To, to the players and coaches in ways that they can understand and implement. Ned, uh, great job. One of the things I wanted to talk to you about is is managers, and and it's easy. It's oh, answer my phone. It's, it's our next guest is calling me. Um, one of the things I wanted to talk to you about is managers, and every team that is on their way to being really good has that period where they're really bad. Uh, and I go back to Buck Showalter with the Yankees. Stump Merrill was the guy that kind of took the bullets for a couple of years. Here in Baltimore, Dave Tremblay took the bullets for a couple of years. Pete McCannon took over a pretty bad club in Philadelphia, and I know it probably didn't end exactly the way Pete wanted it to, but talk a little bit about what he meant to the Phillies and what he still means to the Phillies. Yeah, Pete is an unbelievable person, and like you said, we we've had we had a couple of real lean years here in uh, sixteen, seventeen, um, and he was always positive, and you know tried tried to keep the players positive, and we'd had stretches where you'd lose ten out of twelve, and it's easy to get down, and he you always try to keep things moving in the right direction, was focused on player development. When you're rebuilding, you know, obviously you're out there to win every game, but the, you know, you're also trying to finish development of players at the big league level, which is which is a little different situation than you're in when you're competing for a playoff spot. So I think Pete and his staff, they're always great about that, understanding that hey, we might lose the game, but if Aaron Nola pitched well, you know, Dubal Herrera had three hits and, and played the game right, then this might still have been a good day for the Phillies. So Pete, Pete did a great job, but, you know, and I think when he when we made the change, it was really important to us to keep him and his baseball knowledge in the organization. Ned, you're in a very unique situation in that you were in Baltimore when the Ravens won the Super Bowl and you saw what this town became. You're now in Philadelphia and you saw what Philadelphia great, is like when topic, Super yeah. Bowl when when you guys went when the Eagles won the Super Bowl. How much does that excite the Phillies organization into putting a successful club on the field? going into the playoffs, and, and obviously everybody's goal in winning a World Series. How exciting is it for you to see what Philadelphia is when you put a winner on the field? Yeah, that's a, that's a good question. When, when you know, I've only lived here now in Philly two and a half years or so, but when I got here, kind of all four teams were, uh, you know, on the lower end of their rebuild cycle, and you always hear about what an intense sports town it is. And, 
And, and let me interrupt you. You're okay with three yeah. of those clubs having success, but you know, I know of one club you don't want to have success. Uh, I thought you might say that. <laughs> um, but the, uh, but no, but and then when you see, obviously, the Sixers are, are, are playing great now and the, the town's a buzz for those guys. And, but the Super Bowl was unbelievable. I mean, you know, we took the day off and went to the parade that day. Uh, just to be out and around in the city and walking around, and there's just hundreds of thousands of people everywhere you go, and everyone's in a great mood, and they're just they're just so happy. And it's it's incredible what what a successful team can do to a town, the energy, and the city. And uh, we saw that with the Ravens in the Super Bowl, and it, it, it's it's inspiring. And I think I think all of our guys, you know, our players, our coaches, everybody in front office, everybody watches that and, and thinks we want to be next. We want to be a part of that. And we really feel a lot of support. Uh, from the city here and unrealistic for you not to dream that all that green is red and it's for you guys right i mean that's that's what drives you yeah they had you know again i was in here but they had the parade in 08 you know so that was everybody's talking about comparing the 08 parade to the eagles parade and just the energy and the excitement it's it's, this is incredible and um we yeah i think that that's the goal certainly to, to to bring that bring that title up to philadelphia on the baseball side ned what's the next cutting edge um, philosophy uh, that you can talk about that the that the Phillies are working on that you're working on that that Brian Manitti is another guy that that obviously is, I can't really be honest with you I'm excited with the guys that you have in places to make decisions I've had the opportunity to work with Brian for many years uh, when he was with Pittsburgh and, and Washington um, obviously with you and Ben and Sam Fold and and and, and I guess you know let's let's concentrate on the Sam Fold and Ben Worthen responsibilities because you don't really see that yet, but we're certainly going to start seeing that with other major league organizations and how that came to be to have someone like a Sam Fold and then obviously Ben on the minor league level and how important that is to a club. Yeah, I think that, that you, you segued there well because I think that was that would be my answer to your initial question. I think the next frontier is the teams have been real good, you know, for done real nice stuff for a long time at, using information to make decisions on who they should acquire, you know, like that, you know, back to the money ball days and every team is a strong analytics department. Now, I think the next frontier now that everybody's gotten pretty good at that is how you can use information to make your own players better. So less about who can we acquire, but more, what can we do to, you know, take this pitcher and make them a little better, take this hitter, make them a little better. Um, so we, I think all these teams have real smart people working up in their research and development departments, uh, you know, for producing output. But if that output gets produced and it never makes its way to a player, or never makes its way to a staff member in a way that they can understand and use, you're kind of wasting your time. So uh, Sam and Ben were two guys that we targeted that are people that are really smart guys, understand the research and development language, understand analytics. You know, Sam's a Stanford guy, but at the same time, have a lot of on-field experience, experience in a clubhouse, know how players think, know how coaches think, know how to talk that language. So they can, the guys have instant credibility uh, on both sides, so they can make suggestions to players and coaches and explain it in th- ways that they understand. And they can do it the other way, too. They can talk to our R&D department and say, hey, I think this research is missing the mark a little bit because that's not how a player would think. So I, th- I think the... The, the more information we have, the more important it is that we know how to use it, know how to digest it, know how to implement it. And those we're, guys are doing a great job for us. We're talking with the assistant general manager of the Philadelphia Phillies, Ned Rice, formerly of the Baltimore Orioles. Ned, I was fascinated to hear that, that where the where you think the next frontier is, 
I'm wondering, is baseball, because every guy or gal that I hear is attached to analytics, they all went to Stanford or Amherst or some really high-end place a, a lot of times. Is baseball ready to pay those people commensurate with the kind of money they would make in other fields? Because baseball is used to paying sort of a, a certain level of scout or front office kind of peanuts, you know, and I'm sure you've been on that side of it. Uh, are they ready to pay those analytics people what they're really worth, or are they already doing that? Yeah, I think some of each. So I, I think there's always, you know, I, people will always, uh, big baseball fans will always take a little bit less money to work here than in kind of a boring 9-to-5 sure. job. Which makes sense, right? Like, you know, how much you enjoy your job. Like, you know, I, I would work for less in baseball than I would work somewhere else. But at the same time, you're 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 absolutely right that these are people that uh, that would have tremendous earning potential in other fields. So we have, you know, I think it's important that you do compete with them. And uh, I think the salaries have come a long way for people like you know on the on the front office side, you know, especially R and D people, and you're, you're like, like a lot of our. I'm I'm just trying to think this through. A lot of our analytics hires, like, you know, when we're hiring them, even as entry-level guys right out of college, they're debating between us and a job offer for six figures somewhere else. So we might not have to match the number they have somewhere else, but we have to come pretty close. So I I think it's come a long way, and I think ownership realizes that, you know, in the scheme of a gigantic uh, baseball operations budget, investing a little bit more in high-quality people might give you a really, really strong return on investment and you'll be really happy with the good people you have. Ned, I wanted to talk a little bit about another hire that you guys did this offseason. Um, and I don't want to say it's out of the box because I've known Jose Flores for years. In fact, within the Atlantic League, we gave him his first managerial job. Um, and, and excited I didn't to know see. That. That's pretty cool. Oh, I've got some stories we can we all can talk the stories about. circle around to where he helped everybody get into baseball. No, no, no. We we just <laughs> we just you know what we we had good guys that, yeah. that gave them chances. Yeah. That's all, and they took it to the next level. But but Jose, I you know I know is with the Cubs organization as their as their field coordinator for years, and I know I can only imagine how excited he is to be at the major league level, and certainly he brings the the, the Latin American relationship. A component to to the coach to the major league coaching staff, but talk a little bit about, you know, it just goes to show you that you didn't just move somebody up from within the organization. You went outside the organization. You had Gabe in, um, who obviously vetted him to to say, hey, he's a guy that I want on the club. Talk a little bit about that process and what a guy like Jose Flores brings to the table, who's never been at the major league level before. Yeah, the overall, you know, when we, when you hire a new manager like we did with Cap, uh, you're you then have to fill out your entire coaching staff, which can, you know, nowadays can be somewhere between seven, eight, nine, ten people. So it's amazing how much time that took this off season. It's for every every coach you hire, you do four or five different interviews. We tried to expose each guy to a lot of different facets of the organization. So obviously, Cap spent a lot of time with them, but we spent a lot of time with them in the front office as well. They meet with our R and D guys, um, and we tried to do as wide ranging a search as possible. I mean, we. Uh, one of our catching instructors, uh, Cap, did some research and found him on the internet. Uh, basically, found that this guy is a, you know, was a college baseball coach that taught receiving, and was speaking at these catcher conferences, which we didn't even know existed <laughs> before we started researching. So, it, 
you, you really got to work hard to identify the right people, bring them in, and Flo is a great example of a guy that, that did a really nice job in the interview. People who worked with him in the past that had really nice things to say about him. And you're right, it's, it's, it's really fun. You know, we were down, it was down on opening day in Atlanta uh, on Thursday, and we had so many first-time coaches that are in the big leagues for the first time. And you think you talk about rookies making their major league debut, but for someone like Flo, it's like you know, uh, it's unbelievable what an emotional and, and amazing experience it is to be out on the line for your first time in a major league opening day, and just couldn't be more happy for him and glad he's with us. I got one last question for you, and it's uh, it's horrible when you have a you want to talk about somebody but you don't remember their name. I think I just read a story in The Athletic, and this is a, a bit of an what today is an out-of-a-box hire, but it was a young lady that is now working in your front office, and she's from sort of the Delaware, New Jersey area, and she's sort yeah. of game day preparation. Could you talk a little about who she is and about women's increasing role in the game? Yeah, it's a great question. Dana Parks works with us. She was That's a it. star yep. softball player at St. Joe's. Yep. And uh, interned in the business side with the Phillies and then got a uh, baseball job with the Rays. It works a couple other places, too. But she is a she is a hardcore baseball person. She is a scout. She's an evaluator. She, uh, she can do a little bit of everything. And I think you're exactly right that, we, you know, diversity of thought. You talk about everybody coming from the same schools and having the same background. Yep. And we think that, you know, that could be a problem. Um, we want as many different perspectives and different ways of looking at the game as possible. In the last calendar year, I think we've hired four women full-time in baseball operations. One of our, uh, one of our real good R&D analysts, Corinne Landry, came from, uh, came from Fangraphs. She's done a great job. So I think, I think it's important that everybody doesn't think the same way and, and, and approaches the game with a, a little different angle. And, yeah. and Dana, Corinne, a lot of these people are just doing an unbelievable job for us. Well, the woman who called you today on the phone, by the way, and I've been in this business 35-plus years doing talk radio, first woman I've ever met that at her age, she's a student at Towson, wants to be a big league play-by-play announcer. And that's, a, that's eye-opening, and it's really exciting to, to see women getting involved in the game. Ned, we really appreciate your spending some time with us. Know how busy your time is. Uh, we're real proud of you guys and what you're accomplishing up there in Philadelphia because we're fond of the job Andy was doing here for a long time. It didn't get the results on the field while he was here, but we know he the Orioles' success over the last five or six years is largely responsible to the heavy lifting he and his staff did here in Baltimore. I appreciate you saying that. Andy Andy did a great job, and I think Dan was the perfect guy to come in right after him. Yep. And there was a lot of really really exciting years in Baltimore that was that were fun to be a part of. But we'll be down in uh, we'll be down in Baltimore in May, so hopefully we'll see you guys out at out at the yard. All right, we we can promise that. Thank you very much. Thanks, guys. Take All care. All right, we are going to take. Did we say we're going to take a break now? We are going to take our break right now, and when we get back, that young lady, Brittany Everett's going to have made another phone call to uh, Oriole Hall of Famer and great closer, Greg Olson. He joins the bat around right after this. 
When I think about things that have over-delivered in my life, I think about blueberry pie Oreos, I think about the first Kingsman movie, and now I think about hammer and nails in the Owings Mills Metro Center. My first trip to the Ultimate Man Cave Nirvana blew me away. When I got there, I went to the back room. Oh, this is where the magic happens. I got my first ever manicure and pedicure treatment. It was so relaxing. I understand why a lot of guys actually fall asleep back there. The seat was custom crafted for my comfort. I had a flat screen in front of me with noise-canceling headphones so I could watch whatever game I wanted to, and I was even sipping on a nice adult beverage. Then I went out, and Tracy hooked me up with a really stylish haircut. She took care of me with the shampoo treatment, the hot steam towel. You can even get the Close Edge Razor Shave, all at Hammer & Nails Owings Mills. Memberships are available. They make a great gift. On Mondays, you can rent out Hammer & Nails for your corporate event. Trust me when I tell you, this is an experience all guys must have. Hammer & Nails, grooming shop for guys, now open in the Owings Mills Metro Center. So the start of the base Baseball season here is here, boys and girls, and we have some bold predictions this week about the Baltimore Orioles. And Bert, last I heard, you have a prediction involving some pies. It's very bold. The pies may be back on the reg. Find Section 336 on PressBoxOnline.com, Section336.com, Facebook, or iTunes, or wherever you get your podcasts. What we do with our lives defines us. So consider a path that gives you an array of opportunities for your future. The U.S. Army gives you skills and experiences that make you a well-rounded person. With many ways to serve that align with your goals, you'll become a stronger individual. Find out more at GoArmy.com. You may qualify for up to a $40,000 signing bonus. Start your future today at www.GoArmy.com impact. There's strong, then there's Army Strong, paid for by the United States Army. The latest edition of Press Box is available now. On the cover, Steve Ginsburg profiles Orioles sage sophomore Trey Mancini after a breakout rookie campaign. We also preview all aspects of the 2018 Orioles and look ahead to the NFL draft. Press Box is available for free at over 500 area locations, including 60 Royal Farm stores. You can also find the entire edition as well as the best daily coverage of the Ravens, Orioles, and Terps at PressBoxOnline.com. Hey, it's Glenn, and you might not know this, but we actually have a great wrestling podcast. Well, it's an okay wrestling no, podcast. No, 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 don't sell us short, Glenn. This podcast involves the main event, AJ Francis. That means it is the best wrestling yeah, podcast. That, that, Look, just, just because you're bigger than us does not mean you're better than us. It does not mean you're the main event. The brains are the one that brings people to the table when it comes to podcasts, so it's me who brings people to Java now. Are you kidding me? Aaron Oster from the Baltimore Sun and Rolling Stone, you're the worst. Literally the worst. Like, no one has ever tuned in for your opinion. Got real, real, <laughs> real quick. It's jobbing out. Glenn Clark, Aaron Oster and AJ Francis of the Washington Redskins. He's Terp. Every week we're talking pro wrestling. You can find it by going to Jobbing Out on iTunes or SoundCloud or by clicking on the podcast tab at PressBoxOnline.com. And we are back for one last segment on the battle round, and we've made our connection with a, another Orioles Hall of Famer, and that is uh, the great closer. Greg Olson, he joins us. Otter, how are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm great. Do you know Adam Gladstone at all? He's my co-host today. Not. We met um, years ago when he was in town for, uh, I think it was a Cool Kids. Uh, were you here, Greg, for that four-day golf tournament? No. Through the oh, Celebrity man, Players yeah, Tour? Yeah, that was a while back. A while, yeah, long time ago. Yeah, I was yep. for that. All right. Well, Adam, just to give you his background, was a minor league umpire. 
and uh, then was general manager of the uh, Aberdeen, the, the uh, York Revolution, and worked with Chris Hoyles there for a good bit, and then oh, was nice. and then was Bucks video coordinator the first year of instant replay. So he's okay. he's a he's Very a veteran good. of the game. Uh, Very good. What does opening day mean to you? It's vastly different, I'm sure, today, Greg, than it was when you were a player. But what does it mean to you still? Oh, opening day is you know the zero ERA and uh, just I'm on the team. You know there's. Uh, there wasn't very many years other than my, you know, couple years in Baltimore after my rookie year where opening day was an assured thing. And um, so every opening day was, you know, all right, I'm back here again. Let's, you know, let's do the best with my zero ERA and make, make it last as long as I can. Greg, we had a guest on the show earlier that you've crossed paths with, Rob Nelson, the inventor of Big League Chew Bubblegum. And... Nelly told me a story about, I guess you were with Billy or Cal one day, and, and you guys were having a conversation. And, and Nelly's left-handed, and he, he's a little out-of-the-box thinker. And he asked you the question, if you were paid a million dollars a year towards the tail end of your career to be the opener, but not the closer, and just pitch the first inning of every game, <laughs> you'd said no. You didn't want that. And, and Nelly's, we we just had Ned Rice on, who's the assistant GM of the Phillies, who's huge into the advanced analytics and everything that goes with it. And the talk was, are the first three outs of the game just as important as That's the last three outs, outs of the game? Interesting topic. So you know, what are you? I have an idea of what your thoughts are, but we'd love to hear what your thoughts are about that now. Well, I mean, they are every every out's important, and uh, you know, in the grand scheme, it's you, you know, each team gets 27, and each out should be as important. Um, I just think if you ask guys that have been in the bullpen how difficult it is to get the last three, uh, you would it, hitters' focuses are different throughout the game, and they will admit that. Where you know, sixth inning of an eight to two game, they're they're not as locked in in the at bat as they are in the ninth inning of a three to two game. And so just the hitters focus on, you know, what the inning is changes how difficult it is to get, uh, to get those outs. The, the you know f- what I'm saying? The, yeah, I know exactly what you're saying. The flip side of that though, is how difficult was it for you when you were in your prime? I'm sure there were a handful of times that the manager knew you you needed a little work, and he'd get you in a non-save situation. How hard was it to get that adrenaline to the same level that helped you succeed in the ninth? But if it was the sixth in an eight to two game, you just couldn't reach that same level. No, I never I never could reach it, and I never understood it. You know, on the outside, um, I watched. It was uh, I just did Dream Week with the Orioles and Tom Needenfear was down there and he was the closer in '88 when I got called up and I remember sitting in the bullpen with him and they called down and said Hey Needs you know you need an inning you got you know you got the ninth and he just kind of looks down the bullpen and it was you know myself Kurt Schilling um, a <laughs> couple other young puppies and then you know a couple guys that had been there. He goes, I'll give anybody, you know, 50 bucks if they take this inning. I hate these innings. <laughs> and I'm just like, 
And I'm just looking at him going, oh, yeah, I want to pitch a big league inning, you know, <laughs> and 50 bucks. Um, and then later, later, you know, once I got established as a closer, yeah, the adrenaline's just not there. And those games were the ones that, you know, I made a mess out of. I, you know, my ERA was much higher than it was in save situations just because there was no adrenaline and, and, uh, the adrenaline started to kick in when I had runners on second and third and one run already in. And I was about to, I was about to wreck my ERA for the season. Hey Greg, you got, you got caught up at, at, at age 21 to the big leagues. When in your career did you realize just before the major league, obviously before the major league level that you said, Hey, closing, I can do this, that there's a, there's a, and it sounds funny, somewhat of a comfort level, but I want that pressure. I want the ball. Then when did you realize? If if I can interrupt, you were a closer in college partly, weren't you, Greg? Yeah, I closed my last two years in college. Okay. Um, you know, I don't know if there was ever – I don't know what what time or when I said that, you know, I can close at the big league level. You just – that's – that's one of those where, you know, I mean, even, even back when I came up in 88, 89, you know, the closer's role was not real defined. Right. And there, there, it wasn't really recognized quite yet. I don't remember when the blown save came, you know, started coming into effect, but sure didn't seem like it was much before 88. And, um, you just, I, I didn't really think about it, you know. I mean, main goal was get to the big leagues, and I didn't know what that looked like. I knew that I enjoyed closing more than I did starting, just because I couldn't handle the sitting around for four or five days and and trying to, you know, trying to wait on my next start. So I was more of a day-to-day guy. I had a, I had a loose arm. I could come back, you know, well the next day or two days in a row, and. um I don't know what day it was, you know, when it was that I said I could do it. I just remember my first spring training in 89, somebody asked me if I thought I could save 20 games at the big league level. I was just like, yeah, sure, why not? I mean, you know, if I get 40 save opportunities, then I, I should be able to save 20. You know, but it was just, you know, I got I to gotta look like, you serious? Yeah, why not? I don't, you know, you don't know what I can do, and I don't know what I can do here, but. So I, I, I never figured out when, you know, I, I thought I belonged there as a closer until I actually, you know, got seat down in 89. We're talking with Greg Olson, former closer of the Baltimore Orioles and uh, an Oriole Hall of Famer as well. Greg, um, the, the, the role of the closer, it's mostly been in its history when you think about it, and I'm a good bit older than you, I remember Dick Raddatz being one of the first guys, and he was just 6'5 and threw 95 miles an hour back in the 60s. Goose Gossage. And then there was the guys that were the trick pitches with a knuckleball or a screwball. You were one of the only guys that really made his living on on the curveball. Um how much pressure was it for you? Because you didn't really want to throw strikes per se. You wanted the ball to appear as if it was a strike, but really never be in the zone. Um, well, I, I did throw hard. I had, you know, I could. You had a ninety-four. You were ninety-four, weren't you? 
Yeah, you can't. I, I couldn't go out there uh, and just throw all breaking balls. Right. Um, the hitters are still too good for that. Um, yeah, you know, I mean, that, that's pitching. In essence, pitching is, you know, me, me throwing something that appears to be a strike mm-hmm. and ends up ends ends up as a ball, or me, you know, doing a Greg Maddox where I throw something that appears to be a ball, and then comes back as a strike. And so you're trying to give the the hitter something different. I you know, I just relied on both of my pitches at, at the same time. And for my breaking ball, the best ones were on the bottom of the zone and falling out of it. And a lot of times I didn't get those you know via the umpire because it ended up too low out of the zone. But I think it might have been coming in the strike zone at the low point. Um, so yeah, I, I tried, you know, for my breaking ball. I tried. I spent most of my time, you know, trying to keep it below the zone because it had the appearance initially of being a strike. And then if, if the hitter went after it, then usually he was out at some point. I've got I've got the memory of you absolutely screwing their legs into the ground a little bit, and it's two hitters that got known much later in their careers as having been guys that cheated the game somewhat. Mark McGuire and Jose Canseco, did you break in against, was your first game against the Oakland A's? Um, my I, first save was, uh, my first real save was, yeah, right. I got saved against Boston in uh, three and a third innings earlier in the, earlier that month. How was but, you? Yeah, my first first real one is against Oakland. How was your record over the career against those two big right-handed hitters, McGuire um, and Canseco? McGuire, McGuire took me deep once. <laughs> uh, didn't have a great batting average. Um, I Canseco, I think. Canseco, I remember Canseco beat me one game on a single to right field. But for the most part, you know, I had the better of the two. Now I remember you having the better of those two because I can I can envision some of the swings they had against you when you were facing guys like that. You had been playing baseball for a good while as a kid, into college, into the pros. Did you ever sort of wonder if something was different with those kind of guys? Because you were facing a lot of the guys in that time period that were cheating the game. You know what it. Uh wasn't really relevant or uh that might not be the right word but I, I i didn't look at him like that okay you know i, I remember mcguire came out with the android abuse team and um didn't really bother me didn't i didn't care mm-hmm. you know um at the end of that towards the end of my career when uh bonds and sosa and all of a sudden it started becoming pretty prevalent that a lot of guys are doing things, you know, guys having, you know, a guy that played out here for the Angels having 30 home runs. It was like, you know, shouldn't shouldn't be in the big league level, in my opinion. And um, you start seeing like things like that. Then it started bothering me a little bit. Um, but there's nothing you can do about it. Yeah. You know, I, I could have I went about it and cheated as well. You know, so that option was open to everybody. Everybody could have cheated. Yep. So if you look at it that way, then you go, okay, well, fields, the field is what it is. I could do what they're doing. I don't know what it would do to me as a pitcher, but I could do it too. So why is it really unfair? 
you know. Greg, I know 15, 16 years ago when, when you when you last played, um, and everybody that we've talked to that, that has stopped playing at the major league level, for the most part, they, they, they have to find that competitiveness somewhere else. And I know for you, you certainly enjoy golf and, and, and play it as much as possible. Has that competitive desire ever crossed your mind of saying as you're watching, and I'm assuming you're still watching major league games to this day, that, hey, you know what, I see something – I wish I had the opportunity to to talk about that or, or to work with guys to maybe help them achieve the success that you had at the major league level because I'm assuming that fantasy camp isn't cutting it for you just to do it at that point. <laughs> oh, I, you know, I'd love to help. I'd love to help guys. Um, you know, I'll, I'll do some lessons out here, and I've been coaching you know my boys for a while. I'm, I'm about done now. But, uh, you know, I've talked to Buck about coming back and, and, and coaching at some level. It's just, you know, family, young kids, and, you know, the season's a long one. It's a grind, and yeah. it's hard to be away that much. And so, you know, if there was some aspect of where I could, you know, pop in and, and go talk to some guys and, and help with, you know, whatever breaking ball they're throwing or, you know, I had a had a lot of life lessons over my career of, of relearning after I hurt my elbow, I had to relearn how to pitch and, and then the stuff never quite came back. So I had to, you know, I had to learn how to stay at the big league level. So I had a lot of life lessons that I'd love to share and pass on. It's just, you know, the aspect of the timing hasn't been right. Did I, did I get it right? Cause I've had you on the show a couple times. Were you the, were you on the mound when Buck intentionally walked um, Barry Bonds with the bases loaded, or were you just at the game? I was on the mound. You were on the mound. Okay. Yep. And I know I probably asked you this, and I probably was trying to do ten things at once. What was your answer to that? Well, and, what did that make you feel like? And correct me if I'm wrong. Yeah. We're not on radio. We're, we're on the computer. So you can tell us exactly <laughs> what went through your mind when, right. when Buck held up four fingers. Right. Uh, and you can, uh, <laughs> well, I don't know. How long do you guys got? <laughs> I got, we got two, three minutes. Okay. Well, uh, story, story is that I came in in the eighth inning, um, and Bonds was not playing that day. So Bonds came in to pinch hit and he was the tying run in the eighth. And so I came in, had a three, one count, sorry, and outside, um, had a 3-1 count on Bonds, threw a, threw a good breaking ball, which he wasn't expecting. And so then I got to 3-2, and, and I tell most of the people, a lot of my strikeouts after I hurt my elbow were on 0 2-2, 1-2 fastballs that were good pitches, but everybody was sitting on my breaking ball. So I throw Bonds a 3-2 fastball that if I had to put a baseball in the perfect down-and-away spot, this ball was perfect. And he's very bond, so it was ball four. So he goes and peels off all his gear, and stand, he's standing in the batter's box, you know. So he peels off the elbow pad, the shin pad, whatever pad that he had, and drops him in the box, and he walks down to first base, and I'm standing on the mound going, everybody else in the world is out. Right. I should be in the dugout right now, and you're walking down to first base like I just intentionally walked you. I was right. like, well, you got to be kidding me. And so... I get the next guy out. starts to starts to rain. Dave Delucci hits a home run for us in the top of the ninth. So I'm up three, 
and now it's raining pretty decent. And um, I found out that night I'm not I'm not much I wasn't much of a mutter. <laughs> so start the ninth, get the first guy out, walk, base hit, walk. Um, ends up you know ends up I made a mess out of everything and I uh, got bases loaded, two outs. And the two-run lead, and Bonds comes back up. And with all the walks and everything else, it was a high-intensity inning. It was um, – I was in the 40 pitches, and I, I was exhausted. And so, you know, I'm done. I'm on the mound. I'm done. And there was nobody better in the bullpen. Right. So, um, you know, Bonds comes back up, and I'm just kind of running through scenarios in my head. And uh, show all through the steps to the top step and puts up the four fingers to my catcher, Kelly Stinnett. And Stinnett looks at him, nods, looks around, <laughs> looks back at him again like, wait, what? <laughs> and, um, you know, gives me the four fingers. And so I walk Bonds. Next guy comes up and Brent Maine, who'd been a pain in my butt most of my career. Right. And uh, one, two count, try to punch him out, miss. Two two three two, and then I I have to throw five three two fastballs middle of the plate, and he fouls them all off, and I've already walked six now. <laughs> so um, it was a stressful, highly stressful inning. Well, after the game, I get main main hits a sinking line drive out to right field. My right fielder loses it in the lights. You know, makes a nice catch down basically laying down out in right field right. to get out of the you know to get it out of the lights and uh go walking in after the game and my favorite part of the story is uh, one of our pitchers willie blair who's a kentucky boy i remember willie yeah um meets me at the at the in the candlestick as you're walking into all the clubhouses there's a double door that pushes in and i go pushing in and he's standing there in his you know underwear and a t-shirt <laughs> And he's got two Bud Lights, and he just looks at me and hands me one, and he goes, damn, you're fun to watch. <laughs> and, uh, you know, so I, I, I grabbed the Bud Light and grabbed his other Bud Light, and, you know, by the time I get in there and peel off all my wet stuff and kind of sit there for a second, I go, you know, walking into Buck's office. I was like, hey, Buck, you got a second? He goes, yeah, what do you got? <laughs> I said, hey, I, apparently we just did something that hasn't been done in 47 years. Right. <laughs> and he just looks at me and goes, really? And I was like, yeah. And I said, next time we do something that hasn't been done in 47 years, can we have a bound conversation? <laughs> and That's he hilarious. just looks at me and he's like, what are you talking about? And I said, I wanted to kill him. Right. I said, I could have hit Bonds in the middle of the back. Right. With everything that I had left and been in the same situation. And right. he just kind of looks at me and goes, I didn't even think of that. And I said, oh, I, I thought about it after he peeled off all the stuff. And I was like, at some point, at some point, he's a dead man. Right. And um, he just kind of looks at me and goes, I didn't even think about that. And I said, mound conversation. That's great. That's great. Hey, before we let you go, that is a tremendous story. Before we let you go, tell our uh, listeners uh, here uh, and the folks watching on Facebook Live what Greg Olson is doing today business-wise, because I know, but I think they'd be interested. Well, I, I own a company called Toolshed Sports, and currently in the process of selling that and figuring out what the next step for, for myself is. And uh, 
Don't know what that looks like right now. So. All right. But Toolshed has been in the, like, sort of underwear business? Yeah, yeah. We uh, do, uh, you know, I guess the, the phrase now, everybody just calls them Under Armour shorts, which yep. is, you know, the, compre- the compression under under gear. And uh, we sell the 27 major league teams and a couple NFL teams. It's good stuff. All right. Well, so. the guy to the guy to reach out in Baltimore now may be your old teammate Brady Anderson's more and more involved in the front office. If you come up with that idea, of doing something for the club. All right. Well, I would, yep, I would love to. Thank All you. right. Hey, thanks very much, Greg. Appreciate My it. My pleasure, Stan. All right. Have Bye-bye. a nice talking to you guys. You too. Right. Thanks, Greg. Take care. Terrific. That is one of the great stories. Great story. Great story. And the fact that Buck's even contemplating bringing him back to maybe work with his pitchers is yeah make, makes you know makes you realize Buck missed maybe missed on that one. Well, you know it's interesting. Uh, Greg Olson, remember his career went really down the tubes. He was with like Kansas City and a couple, and then he ended up with Buck out in Arizona, and he had a, a comeback season where I think if you look it up, he saved thirty games. Right. Uh, and I think that happened during that season. But, but he, again, he had to relearn how to pitch when his arm got And injured. that's why he brings something to the table. Yeah. He just can't throw 100 miles an yeah. hour. He it's, has to learn. It's learning how to get people out when you don't have your best stuff. Exactly. We're going to take one final time out and come back and say our goodbyes on the bat around. Visit Buffalo Wild Wings weekdays from 11 to 2 and take advantage of their new 15-minute lunch guarantee or your lunch is free. That's right, free. And with the 15-minute lunch guarantee, that means less time waiting and more time eating delicious B-dubs before you got to get back to the office. Buffalo Wild Wings, White Marsh, Owings Mills, and Westminster Wings Beer Sports available for dine-in orders at participating locations for a limited time. See restaurant for details. The latest edition of Press Box is available now. On the cover, Steve Ginsburg profiles Orioles' sage sophomore Trey Mancini after a breakout rookie campaign. We also preview all aspects of the 2018 Orioles and look ahead to the NFL draft. Press Box is available for free at over 500 area locations, including 60 Royal Farm stores. You can also find the entire edition as well as the best daily coverage of the Ravens, Orioles, and Terps at PressBoxOnline.com. They say you're only as strong as the company you keep. The U.S. Army keeps you in strong company. If you want to stand out, the Army can give you the training you need. To take advantage of the strong options waiting for you, visit GoArmy.com. You may qualify for up to a $40,000 signing bonus. Start your future today at www.GoArmy.com slash impact. There's strong, then there's Army strong. Paid for by the United States Army. Looking for an exciting new crossover vehicle that has the legroom and cargo space of an SUV? Then you need to look at the all-new Eclipse Cross at Jerry's Mitsubishi. Wow! Once you get behind the wheel of the new Eclipse Cross, you won't want to let go. Available in all-wheel drive, the new Eclipse Cross at Jerry's comes equipped with a 7-inch touchscreen with Apple CarPlay and Android Auto, plus head-up display and adaptive cruise control. And right now, Jerry's has a $1,000 dealer discount available. Do it. Go see the New Eclipse Cross at Jerry's Mitsubishi on Joppa Road or online at jerrysmitsubishi.com. 
Okay, so what do you get when you combine the Chick-fil-A Vanilla Ice Dream and their Simply Orange Juice? Well, introducing the all-new Frosted Sunrise from our friends at Chick-fil-A Nottingham Square. It's perfect with breakfast, lunch, or dinner. Nothing refreshes like the Chick-fil-A Frosted Sunrise. And hey, if you prefer lemon, try the Frosted Lemonade. Don't forget to think about Chick-fil-A Nottingham Square as well. For all of your catering needs, graduation parties coming up, Chick-fil-A Nottingham Square, 5198 Campbell Boulevard, in the Nottingham Square Shopping Center. I'm Jill Powell. Each day I'll bring you the latest from the floor of the Maryland General Assembly. I'll speak with the newsmakers and feature the sound that is shaping the future of Maryland. Be sure to catch the Maryland Capitol Report at any time at MarylandNewsNetwork.net. Kyle, here's the thing. Since we're streaming live now every day at Facebook.com slash PressBoxSports, video-wise, I'm going to need you to step your game up when it comes to what you wear to work every day from 10 to noon. Uh, I hear you. I mean, I, I'm, they can't see my legs. I can still wear the chaps. Okay, that's fine. I just don't understand, for me, why they have to be assless chaps. I have the chaps that I have. Okay. And I have the toes that I have. This is what we do every day from 10 to noon. Glenn Clark, Kyle Ottenheimer for Glenn Clark Radio. I'm not sure that you'll learn anything. I'm not sure that you'll ever really be entertained. But afterwards, it's going to be a pleasant experience for all involved. How does that work? Yeah, don't worry about it. Glenn Clark Radio and Facebook.com slash Sports. And we are back on the bat around here as the clock uh, strikes 12 noon. If you missed any of today's show, you can uh, listen to it on the archives at pressboxonline.com slash radio or uh, go to facebook.com slash pressboxsports and watch it on uh, on an archive of uh, what we just did on Facebook Live for the last couple hours. I appreciate you coming in, Mr. Gladstone. I My know you've got a lot of things to do, but I appreciate you for coming in today. My pleasure. Anytime you need me to pinch hit, I'm a, I'm a good pinch hitter. All right. Give my best to Julie and the kids. I will. Uh, what do you got exciting the rest of the weekend? You going out to see some more real you know, baseball? The, no, we uh, the, uh, the kids are on spring break, so we're going to uh, take them down to Washington on Thursday to see the sights, and then Jordan and I are going to head over to the Caps game and – Watch, I think it's the Caps and the Predators on Thursday night. I think it's their last regular season home game. They have a shot this year. Are they, they always better have a than shot. last year? Uh, they are. Are they better than last they year? They didn't Brittany play well last yes. night. Yeah. They didn't play well last night at home. But, you know, they, they also came off of clinching a playoff spot, and now it's all about positioning. Who does it look like they will face off with? Because they really were on the I hope it's not Pittsburgh. Year. Yeah. <laughs> do they have more points than Pittsburgh this year? or Pittsburgh? I think really? they do right now. I think they do. Do they, Brittany? I'm pretty sure we're leading the division right now. Okay. But barely. It's like a one to two point separation. Okay. And how much longer left in the season? A week? Yeah, I think think next week is the the last of the regular season before they start playing the playoffs. playoffs. All right. They're in. Anything can happen. Good to see you again. Thanks for asking. Brittany, good to see you again. Uh, And we'll see you back here. We want to remind you tomorrow, Ken Zalis, Sarita Hubbard, with the Fantasy and Reality Football Show. And then Glenn Clark and Kyle Ottenheimer Monday through Friday. Although I think Ken Zalis is sitting in for Glenn on Thursday and Friday. And I'm sitting in for Glenn the following Monday and Tuesday as he goes off to WrestleMania in New Orleans of all places. So we're just keeping our fingers crossed that Glenn makes it back. All right. Have a great weekend ahead. And uh, go O's tonight at the ballpark, 7.05. It'll be Kyle Gibson against Andrew Kashner.